in Christ. May we know them. May we love them. May we live them out, not in the power of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit, which gives life to everyone who calls. So, Lord, in that grace we call upon you. Speak through our brother. Teach us. Teach us to believe and trust in God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Way to worship, folks. Way to worship. You may be seated. And Children's Church, K-5, through is dismissed right through those doors with Miss Val. And your kids can be picked up after the service right on the corner of the church over there. You know, I, I know that um, we come here on a Sunday morning and a lot of us are kind of bound up with thoughts and anxieties and worries and distractions. We live, as you well know, I don't have to tell you, in a very, very busy um, culture. And I thought it would be fitting this morning before we open the Word um, to, to practice Psalm 4610. And that is... Um, where the Lord tells us, he commands us to be still and know that I am God. So let me ask you, if you just take a moment and um, let us all just close our eyes, maybe um, bow your heads if you're comfortable doing that or not, that's fine. And just allow a, a moment, a space for us to be still. And breathe. He encourages us not just to be still, but to be still knowing something, and that is knowing that he is God. He's the God who right now is sustaining galaxies by the breath of his mouth, and he's the God who sustains atoms. He's the, the God who is one who reigns over finances, that we so easily become fearful about. A God who reigns over marriage, over pain. He's a God who reigns over cancer and sickness. He's a God who reigns over the hearts of teenagers, wayward children. God who reigns over your past and its mistakes and its sins and a God who reigns over your future. He wants you to be still before him and know that he reigns. He reigns over your life. He reigns over your death. He wants you to be still. He wants you to relinquish and release your worries about what's going to happen tomorrow and next week, knowing that he reigns. Lord, grant us peace in our souls. Allow us the grace to be still before you, to know that you reign over all things, as chaotic as they sometimes seem. We're told that there are no accidents, and somehow, in some way that we cannot understand, you work your magic through the chaos of life and what ends up
in the end is beautiful. And we want to trust that you are working all things together for good for those that are called by you and love you. And that means we can be still. So allow us in this moment to, to hear your voice. Be encouraged by you and find rest for our restless souls. May your word be heard crystal clear this morning. May you grant us confidence, courage, joy, peace. As we gather and, and read and listen to what you have breathed out in terms of a word for us to hold on to, for us to embrace and cling to, to believe, to shape our lives by, which is your Holy Scripture, that declares to us that you're a sovereign but good and gracious and loving and merciful God who is restoring and reclaiming all things for himself and for the good of those who he, he is reclaiming. So please, God, give us this confidence this morning. In the name of Jesus, who is the very expression of who you are, your greatness and your love, your tenderness, your compassion, your sympathy. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were with us pre-Easter season, uh, you'll know that we embarked on a 48-day, I, I hate to call it adventure because that sounds cliche, and I think somebody made up something like 40 days of adventure, but we went kind of on a 48-day time of meditation upon Scripture and praying, and um, we were doing that because Parkway is 48 years old this year, and we were praying forward the next 48 years, praying that, that this church family would uh, flourish more in the next 48 years than it has the previous 48. And um, I'll tell you, it was cool um, knowing, just me personally, that as I was reading the texts for that day and praying and reading those questions, it was cool to know that I had Parkway family doing that with me, whoever participated, and to know that we were kind of, for that moment of the day, we were all in one accord. And uh, I, I don't know, because I don't have the, um, the gift of prophetic foresight, how the Lord is going to answer our prayers, but I have every reason to expect that he's going to, um, because the, the Bible says, ask and if it's in his purpose, he will, he will answer. And so I have every reason, we have every reason to believe in some way, shape, or form, God is going to manifest a greater flourishing in the next 48 than, than in the previous 48. And Lord knows, our city, Fairfield, and if you happen to be from Vacaville or Sassoon or Napa, you can apply this to your town as well, but Fairfield tends to have a unique signature, doesn't it? You know, I was brought home, brought home to me just a few weeks ago. We had that weird storm come through our area, big dark clouds, thunder and lightning. And um, I remember getting home, and I turned on the news, and, uh, and I saw that there were funnel clouds. You remember the storm? Am, am I the only one who noticed the storm? <laughs> you know, I said there's the funnel clouds forming over Roseville, and then it was moving towards Rockland. And, and I, that's where my parents live, is, is up in Newcastle, just, uh, just east of, of Loomis. And and so I'm watching Channel 3 News. That's what my parents watch, so it's kind of our little connection, watch the same news channel. And um, I'm looking, and, 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 and I'm seeing the storm cell on the news in terms of a map, and it's passing over Rock Springs Road. Now, that's the road you take to get to my parents' house, right? 
I have never, ever seen kind of the street that I live on on the news. Ever. Um, about the most exciting thing that happens in Newcastle is every once in a while a sheep or a cow will get out. That's about it. But here I'm looking at it, I'm saying, man, my street, that's Rock Springs Road, is, is, uh, is on the news. And so I picked up the phone and I'm calling my mom and dad. I'm like, I can see your street on the news. And my, 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 my mom's like, wow, yeah, this is pretty exciting. We just had a tree blow down. And a big old tree. I mean, it was, they didn't blow down on their house, but it, but it blew down, and she was kind of excited in a twisted sort of way, you know, kind of when stuff's happening. And uh, I was reflecting on that, like I told my mom, I said, well, I mean, at least that's all the news you guys have. It's like, you read the news or listen to the Channel 3 news, you're going to hear Fairfield all the time. And my mom kind of chuckles about that because she's able to say, yeah, I heard about Fairfield on the news again. You know, in fact, I think it was that same week that the storm blew through that we heard that, that just uh, tragic story of the, of the young father that, for whatever reason, decided he was going to, to bite off the nose of his child. That was news. That was big news in all of California. My mom said, man, I can't believe somebody did that. Or, you know, the two shootings in Grande Circle or um, the two shootings this last week or the lady's body that was found in the canal just, what, a quarter of a mile from here? I, won't, I don't have to tell my parents what's happening in Fairfield. They hear about it all the time. That is to say, you know, we live in a, in a city with some problems. And they make news. And the fact of the matter is, this is where I live. This is where most of you live, is in this place. This is our, our city, and it's, it's a place we call home. And it's for... Um, Reasons that this place has darkness that God has placed us here. And in one sense, it's sad to see the darkness. In another sense, it's kind of exciting to think about what God could do through his people. What God has done through history when he's taken a people and he's planted it in a dark place and watched what has happened. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be a Christian in Newcastle where nothing ever happens. It's another thing to be a believer, a follower of Jesus in a place where stuff happens and where there are some gargantuan public exposed problems. And to realize that God has placed us here and to realize that we have something like that has been proven in history to be able to change not only the heart of an individual, but to change the heart of a community. And that's this thing that we, we call the gospel. This deep well of Mercy and love and the truth of what God has done on our behalf that has a way of getting into the heart, you know, and to begin to pull back the darkness and the selfishness and the, and the hatred and the envy and the jealousy and to start to remake the heart afresh. And, and that's something that has been given to the followers of Jesus to take and live out and to share when we're given opportunities in neighborhoods and in our city. And that's what we have. That's... God has given that to us, and, and, and really, I believe, um, as a Christian, a believer in Scripture, that the city's only hope, ultimately, is found within the believers in Jesus, um, or Jesus working through his believers. And, um, and one of the things that excites me the most about this church and the trajectory it's been taking, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's just been great to see over the years how we have become more and more and more city-minded. You know, first with the desire for something, then 
kind of ballooning into the leaven, which is, you know, then to see City Hope start to take off. And there's just kind of a groundswell of people who want to see our city impacted. And that is such a great move um, and a stirring and a direction that God is, is moving. And I'm, I'm stoked about it. I'm excited to see what will happen 48 years from now as a result of this. Of course, I won't be around by then, but to think of what could be done. And in light of that, I, I wanted to... Um, this is both a warning and an encouragement this morning. I wanted us to, to be warned about something that can short-circuit that process. They can short-circuit the power of, of, of God's working through the gospel in our lives and in our church. When something short-circuits, it diverts power away, and, and we don't want that as a, as a church or as individuals. We don't want to cross wires in a way that takes away the power of the Spirit of God in his church. And so I wanted to go back to, after a long hiatus, to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 20, or excuse me, 21 through 31, and, um, and show you how we can get short-circuited and hopefully be encouraged to go the opposite direction where there is power. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Now, this is what I'm going to do to prepare you. I'm, one, I'm going to read the whole passage. Not very long. I'm going to read it. I'm going to summarize it. And then I want to focus on two verses with the idea of impacting our city or our community. All right, those three things. I'm going to read it, summarize it, and I'm going to summarize it by way of a chart. Paul's kind of difficult here. And then uh, focus it in very narrowly on, um, on our ministry service to the community. So let me first read it. Paul writes, beginning in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now he's going to bring out an argument from the Old Testament that makes the same point that he's been making all the way through Galatians. Um, In a way, Paul is beating a dead horse by saying this once again, but he's saying it so we get through to it. And he's going to give this argument about the gospel. And he says, For it is written in Genesis that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was according to the flesh. Important phrase I'm going to come back to, according to the flesh. While the son of the free woman, and the free woman is Sarah, if you remember her name from the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, was born according to or through promise. Those are two contrary statements that I'm going to come back to. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And then citing Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, he says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And then beginning in verse 28, he brings it home in, 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 in terms of application. He says, now you brothers, and he's speaking to people who are not Jewish, people like you and me, coming from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and background, and ethnicity. He says, but you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born, here's the phrase again, according to the flesh persecuted him who was, important phrase, born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture, referring to Genesis, say? 
Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son uh, with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. All right. Is anybody confused by what I just read? Yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> now, some of the stuff you read in Paul, you're just like, wow, that's awesome. And other stuff, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? And you'll be encouraged to note that the apostle Peter read some of the stuff Paul wrote and said, Paul's hard to understand. Maybe it was passages like this. So allow me to provide a flow chart for you. And this is to summarize kind of what's going on here. Like I said, he's making an argument from the Old Testament. So, all right, I want you to kind of follow his thinking. And I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. And um, when I look back at you, stop looking at the slides and look at me, okay? <laughs> so I hear guys going, wait a second. I love that blue and that orange is so wonderful. <laughs> All right? Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise. And it's a reiteration of the promise he made to Adam at the beginning. It's to say, I'm not done. I'm going to complete what I started and nothing's going to thwart it. Comes to him and says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the nations through you. That's a way of saying at some point through Abraham and his offspring, that is people who will come from him, God is going to bring blessing and salvation to the world that was once lost at the beginning. Okay, so, so Abraham is given a promise. And that promise kind of narrows in on a son. I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. The problem is, going to the right, now look up there, he's married to Sarah. Sarah can't have kids. She's barren. She has a closed womb. No fertility in that day. So she can't have kids. And by the time God makes these promises, she's old too. So it's a virtual impossibility for this woman to have, have a son. So Sarah gets the bright idea. This is all stories in Genesis. It's filled with intrigue and wonder. Sarah gets the bright idea, hey, I can't have kids, so let's do a workaround. Why don't you take my handmaid by the name of Hagar or a slave, and why don't you take her in my place, and she can have a son, and it will be our son. And Abe, like the good head of the household, said, yes, dear. <laughs> and she was the neck, he's the head, and she turned it. And so that's what he does. And so he takes Hagar, that's the one to the left, and they have a son. According to a human scheme, a and accomplishing a human achievement, they have a son. That's kind of the I-can-make-it-happen kind of way. And Ishmael's born. And most of you know, I think, that Ishmael is the patriarch of the Arab people and the perennial army, or enemy of, of, the, of the people of Israel. Now, that's not to say anything negative about the Arab people. The fact of the matter is they're one of the nations that God loves and is redeeming to. But that's the left side. God basically comes back and says, No! My promise and my work of blessing the nation is not going to come through Ishmael. Like, you kind of crossed wires here, Abraham, taking matters into your own hands. It's going to come through Sarah. So, lo and behold, this aged woman who had a barren womb when she was young all of a sudden gets pregnant. God does a work of power of giving her a son that 
that, that, that they thought was impossible. And that's, that's what we're supposed to take from it. It's like God did the impossible. She gets pregnant. She has uh, a son by the name of Laughter or Isaac, so excited. And he would be the one through whom the line would continue until you get to Jesus, through whom the promise to Abraham would be fulfilled to the nations. And you can see, like, Abraham's reading about these two women in the Old Testament. He says, that's a perfect example of the difference between living by grace and living by law. Sarah, for example, Paul says, by way of analogy, she's, she's kind of like the covenant of grace. She couldn't do anything about her barren womb. God had to do something, and he did. God acted, he showed up in power, and he fulfilled his promise. It's just like the covenant of grace, in which, and this brings us to Jesus, in which God came to do to fulfill the promise what we couldn't do for ourselves. Like, we can't atone for our sin. No amount of good works can atone for our sin. No matter how much you throw in to this pit called redemption, you'll never atone for your sin. It's bottomless. So what does God do? He comes in the person of Jesus. He lives and he dies. He fills that pit, fills that, that gap, that debt, and then gives us life. Something that we couldn't do for ourselves, much like Sarah. And he says, that's also kind of like the, the Jerusalem above. And Jerusalem is, is kind of shorthand for the place where God dwells with his people. And he's saying, um, basically, in trusting in what God has done through Jesus Christ, we're already citizens of that Jerusalem. We're already part of God's family. He's already with us. All of the separation has been gone. And that is freedom. He says, freedom. That line, that way of... of, of of recognizing that God's the one who acts and fulfills his promises to deliver his people ultimately in Jesus Christ. That's God working is the blue side. Abraham, listening to his wife, crossed wires, going back to the left side, and decided that he should take things into his own hands, and so sure enough, they have a child, and he's, Paul says, you know, that's kind of like the covenant of law. You know, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, where God says, hey, I have a relationship for, with, with you, but for us to be on good terms with each other, you've got to do this. And he gives them a whole bunch of regulations. And in order for them to live in good fellowship with God, they've got to keep it all. It's the covenant of law. That is, they have to perform, which they never did, never could, none of us in here can. He says, that's like the earthly Jerusalem, the one that Paul knew, where people were bound up with all of these rules, thinking that if only I can be a little more perfect, I'll be in God's family, more acceptable, more loved. And, and he says, that's, 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 that's the Hagar side, the old covenant, that's Jerusalem, and that's, that's slavery. Constantly trying to, to measure up to the standard that God wants so that you can be accepted and feel loved and, and have no fear when you face death and so forth. And Paul's like, that's slavery. Slavery, you can't go that direction. You have to go the other side. You see, the, the two are two great illustrations of the difference between enslaving religion and freeing religion or freeing uh, grace. On the one side, there's dependence on human achievement, human scheme, I can make it happen. On the other side, it's God's plan, God promises, and God's the one who makes it happen. So there you have that, that, That's the flow chart, okay? And the main point that Paul's trying to make for you and me is that you don't want to cross those two, which many of us inadvertently and unconsciously do. 
is, you know, it's the, on the one hand, we can know with our minds and speak with our lips, hey, man, God, God made promises, and, and God acted on those promises. He fulfilled those promises in Jesus, and all he calls is for us to entrust ourselves to what he promised, entrust ourselves to his activity. Meanwhile, while we say that inwardly, we still feel like we have to measure up to the expectations like of a church or other people, thinking that if we don't measure up to those expectations, well, I'm not really part of the family yet, or not fully part of the family. And that's getting your wires crossed. You see, and that, that short circuits. It takes away the power of what it means to, and Paul's whole point is, to, I want my church to live in freedom. We don't win our freedom before God and, and in our own souls. It's won for us. By him, by, by Christ. And to realize he's won my freedom. We start there. God comes to us as slaves, you know, slaves to sin and slaves to death. And he says, you trust what I did? You know, I promised, I delivered, I worked. It was my power, my son. Do you believe that? Yes. And he's like, now you're free. You're free. That's what he wants us to do is live in that freedom. Now that is the main point of this text. All right. Don't get your wires crossed. Don't go the way of Hagar. Go the way of Sarah. Now, the main point, I'm going to turn and apply this in a way that's different. Same principle, but different kind of angle. The angle of service and ministry um, impacting our city or your neighborhood. Because I think the principle of our relationship with the Lord is the same principle by which we engage in ministry and activity in our, our city. All right? Or let me put that differently. What I just said was that we are included into God's family fully and completely on the basis of faith in Jesus alone. Because Jesus is God's activity. It's, he, he is God's fulfillment of his promises. It's him doing it. Now, we, most of us believe that at some level and are asking God, help me to believe it more, that I am accepted into your family or saved or experience your blessing and, and eternal life by faith in Jesus alone. But then we often switch gears when it comes to service, thinking we want to make an impact in Fairfield or Vacaville or Sassoon, and we think, now we've got to muster the troops. How are we going to do this? And we switch from... A dependence upon God's activity to our activity. Like, we can make it happen. And the truth of the factor is the same principle that makes us part of God's family is the same principle that enables us to serve the community. That it's always by our faith in God's saving activity in our city that we're supposed to minister. Or let me restate in another way. In our text we just read, Abraham was given a promise of what God would do. Now we as people who live some 4,000 years later, we also have promises that God has given to us. They are not outside the scope of the promises made to Abraham. They are a continuation of those promises made possible by Jesus to bring his blessings to the nations. But he's given to us promises like he gave to Abraham, and those promises are to be believed. 
and it's in our belief or our faith in God's activity carrying out those promises that we find our courage and we find our confidence and we find a willingness to go into a dark city. Now, that's verses 22 through 23 and verse 29, and I already read them, but I'm just going to read the the underlined portions, uh, born according to the flesh versus born according to the promise. Those are two opposite ways. Born according to the flesh in verse 29 versus born according to the Spirit. You notice born according to the Spirit is coordinate or it is the same as born through promise. Promise and Spirit. It's God's activity. Now It's possible for us to know this is what God wants to do in our city. To know what to do and do it in the wrong way. To get the wires crossed. The right way to do it always Always is on it by faith in God's activity, trusting that God is there, trusting God's going to work, he's going to show up, he's going to make a difference, and so on. So let me just give you a sample of some of the promises that we have that I've been thinking about as it relates to um, the church and our city. One we already heard the first part of, where it's be still and know that I am God. All right? Stop and remember, I'm in charge. This is my world. This is my work. I'm keeping everyone's hearts beating at Parkway right now in this 12 o'clock hour. It's mine. Be still and know that I am God over all that. But then he gives a promise. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. And right after that, the next phrase says, I will be exalted in all the earth. Right? Right? I will be exalted, if God says. I'll tell you, some of us tend to view God as someone who sits on his throne, maybe chewing on his fingernails, tapping his fingers, looking down, going, man, if Dad, Dan Decker doesn't get his act together, man, it says, I'm not going to be exalted. Or, you know, if my people don't get out and start knocking on doors, I'm, I'm not going to be exalted. And kind of worrying and fretting that his work is going to get done. As if he says, I I, I might be exalted. I hope I'll be exalted. I wish I could be exalted. And he says, no. This is a declaration of truth, an absolute certainty. He says, I will be exalted. When everything is said and done and all the dust settles, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that God, you are God in all the earth. That's a promise. He says, I'll be exalted. Or this is a statement that Jesus makes, and it's a promise. He says, I... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He doesn't, again, using our idiosyncrasies of, of, of anxiety, he doesn't like wonder and hope, kind of have his heart tremble, like, man, if my people don't give enough money, I am not going to build my church, darn it. That's, that's not the spirit with which we read this. Jesus says, I will build my church. My people that I love, called by my name, I'm going to build them. I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm doing that. Or one more. This one I love. It's the end of Romans. The God speaking through the Apostle Paul said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That, 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 the one who, you know, who caused everything to go haywire in the beginning, he says, I'm going to crush Satan under your feet. That's a pretty amazing statement. There's no sense of, 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 of uh, condition in this or potentiality. It's, 
It's not like, well, God might, you know, crush Satan under your feet if he gets the other hand, upper hand, or if Satan has, you know, a weak point. It's like, no. Like, this is going to happen. You notice that God is the subject of every one of these actions. I will exalt, be exalted. I will build my church. God's the one who crushes Satan under the feet of his people. We have a tendency to think that God needs us to do those things. And when we believe that God, you need us to do those things, our view of God becomes very small, one of a, of, of a nail-biting, finger-tapping God who's hoping that we're going to come through for him. And then our view of ourselves becomes quite big. Well, I, we will make it happen if we muster our energy and we gather the troops and we storm Fairfield with our Bibles. It's the reverse. The vision of the Bible is to recognize that this is his work and it's guaranteed because of that. I will be exalted. I will build. And I will crush Satan under your feet. And I think it would be appropriate for us to see these promises and, and declare these promises over our town. That God says, I will be exalted in Fairfield. I will build my church in Fairfield. I will crush the works of the evil one who's creating catastrophe in our town by my work in Fairfield. In my own way, in my own time, this is my work. In your neighborhood, I happen to live on Nephi Drive in a Mormon subdevelopment. That's ironic. And to know, God says, I will be exalted on Nephi, and I will build my church on Nephi, and I will crush Satan's works on Nephi. And when you believe that that's his work, that it's not dependent upon us. It creates the sense of courage and, and, and confidence. Like, God, you're going to be here. You're going to do this because you've guaranteed it. So, for example, the city has asked Parkway. We talked to Justin just this last week. Would you come? We don't have enough manpower to scrub graffiti over at Grande Circle where there was a shooting a while ago. One. Christians can either fear, hide, turn away, cower, shrink back. Or, in the use of wisdom, not going at night. <laughs> in a dangerous place, be able to scrub graffiti off of walls because they're confident that in some way, in some form, they showed up and God will be exalted in Grande Circle. And God will build his church in Grande Circle. And God will crush the works of the devil at Grande Circle. You see, this is the, the kind of promise that we have to believe that God has declared and to trust that it's true and to walk in light of that and trust he's going to be there and watch him exalt himself, build his church. It's promises. But we only do that by what? By faith. Promises are supposed to be believed. Now, someone might object and say, well, that means, Dan, that we're just going to be passive. Like, let's just sit here in the pews and wait till God does something, and then we'll join in. 
Since Paul used Abraham as an example, let me go back to Abraham and and just really quickly show you three ways in which his faith manifested itself differently, which I think is huge for us. The first time that God comes to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, he comes to him in the land of Chaldee, and he says, Abraham, leave your family, head out west to a land I'll show you. It doesn't even name it. And what does Abraham do? He says, I trust you, sure, I'll go. And in that sense, his faith began to walk and move, either with his feet or on a camel. You know, in that sense, faith expressed itself when God provided a direction and a directive for him to do something about it. And sometimes faith manifests itself when God provides a prompting or a direction or a groundswell, and he says, this is where I want you to go. Well, you know what you do? You go. You walk. You do something. But then, in the case that we just read, God says, you're going to have a son, Isaac, and, and Abraham's like, it's been a while. My wife's old. In that case, he shouldn't have done something about it. In that case, faith should have waited. Waited upon the Lord. Lord, I've hit a brick wall. My wife is barren. I don't know how this is going to happen. Instead of doing something about it, he should have waited for the Lord because the Lord will be true to his promise. Sometimes you're supposed to walk in faith when God provides a prompting or a direction. Sometimes you need to wait in faith going, all right, Lord, where are you going to go? And at other times, do you remember what happens once Isaac finally comes along? The son actually materializes. God says, hey, take your Isaac, go up Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. What does Abraham say? He says, as hard as that is, okay. In that case, faith sacrificed. It's all faith, though. And in those different ways, God has called us as his, his people, the bearers of his light, to engage in our city and neighborhoods and the places that we work is to live by faith in his promises. And sometimes that means when God prompts you to do something, and you're like, oh man, he wants me to write a letter, or he wants me to talk to somebody, or he wants me to get involved in this program in the city. He wants me to clean graffiti and grindy circle. Kind of scared. Well, you know what? When he prompts you to do that, you know what you do? In faith, you go. And scrub walls. If God has you in a place where you're not sure, or you're at an impasse, or there's a brick wall there, in those moments, it's time to be still and to wait and say, Lord, all right, where do you want us to go? Because I'll tell you, the times that I've tried to make things happen in my life and to force ministry, I almost always fell flat on my face. Faith must wait sometimes. And then at other times, God says, you know what? It's time to give it all up. It's not every day that he calls you to give it all up, but at times, he calls you, all right, it's time to sacrifice in faith. And, and it's at that moment, faith says, all right, What do you need? I'm going to trust you with whatever I sacrifice. And it's that kind of faith in the saving, delivering, powerful activity of God, working through his promises as his people trust him, that God begins to shed his light. And it's it's us here, now, this generation, this place, this city, And we do not want to try to do the right things the wrong way and short-circuit 
the power of God that delights to work through his people when they trust him. Just as we're freed by what God has done through Christ by faith, so also we minister to the community through Christ by faith. It's always the same thing. It's our trust that he's working and gluing ourselves to his promises and trusting he's going to be there when he shows us the way. And if that's our approach and we stay single-focused on that track, that it's God who saves and God who delivers and God who changes, God who presses back the darkness, the next 48, we're going to make an impact. And we're going to leave a better place to those young boys that we dedicated early this morning. A place where then they can look and say, all right, we're going to stand on the shoulders of our forefathers and we're going to build a better place with the same basic foundation of trust in the promises of God made possible through Jesus Christ. Amen? Lord God in heaven, we pray for our city. We pray for your people in this room and ask that you would grant us that level of faith that you not only exist, but that you are a God who is actively, passionately, and powerfully involved in Fairfield, Vacaville, and Sassoon, and Napa, and you are in the process of exalting your name. You're in the process of building your church, in the process of crushing the works of the deceitful one under our feet. Lord, clear away all of the clutter of distraction and the wire crossing that so easily cripples and paralyzes your people. May we stand fully, squarely, and completely on the fountain of your truth, your gospel, your good news that says, I have done it. I have done it in my Son. And on that basis, we go in courage and confidence that the kingdom of God wins in the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.